The new Netflix show, The Babysitter's Club, has been making news the last few weeks. But did you know that this rebooted show is based on a book series that includes 213 novels? That they've sold 176 million copies? I didn't. But you can bet that those stories have been read by a lot of young, would-be babysitters. Hey everyone, Adam Holtz here, your host for The Plugged In Show. Focus on the family's weekly conversation about entertainment, technology, and your family. Thanks for joining us. You know, we spend a lot of time at Plugged In talking about the influence of screens, whether we're talking movies, TV, smart devices. We interact with screens constantly, but sometimes we forget books are still a thing. And the books we love as children, whether we're talking Harry Potter or Nancy Drew, Little House on the Prairie or The Babysitter's Club. Which you're going to want to read our review on our website before you go watch the new show. That's right, Emily. Thank you. You know, just to mention a few can quietly exert enormous influence over young hearts and minds. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. We would love for you to join the conversation, too. So be sure to let us know what you think of today's podcast by emailing us at team, that's T-E-A-M, at thepluggedinshow.com. Well, joining me for today's conversation are... Paul Acey, Kristen Smith, and Emily Clark. Okay, I've got a fun one to get us started today. What story from your tween or teen years most captured your imagination and why? Mmm. Man, so many books to choose from. Just one. Yeah, hurry Just up. Just one. Okay, all right, all right. <laughs> I'm going to go with The Silver Chair. The Silver Chair. Correct. C.S. Lewis's, what is it, his sixth the of sixth seven book, in the book yes, of The Chronicles of Narnia. Yes, Silver that Chair. That was a Narnia sorting tool right there. <laughs> I could not have done that. I yeah. passed. You passed, Emily. <laughs> Thank you. It really struck my imagination. I'll just say that. I think that the, the, the whole Emerald Queen type of person turning into a worm and that happened the to me once. puddle glum and the giants throwing rocks. It was just a really great story. It's I remember so as, as a kid, actually, I, I went outside and just thought that if I thought hard enough that something somewhere would transfer me into some sort of magical realm. We didn't have a wardrobe to step into. We didn't have a painting to jump into. We probably didn't into. even know what a wardrobe was. I really didn't even know what a wardrobe was. Well, I, I had looked it up because I had read these books you didn't like know. 27 times. In your encyclopedia. Times. Right. But but I did. I went behind a bush because I thought, oh, this feels like it might be sort of a magical, transformative type of place. No. No. I still had to come in for dinner. It was very disappointing. That is Which disappointing. Which is both, it's both poignant um, and kind of profound all at the same time right because yeah. you can say oh silly paul he didn't know <laughs> and yet yeah. it sort of illustrates the point that stories are so powerful that they can tempt us to think maybe yeah right? no absolutely absolutely and if they're re- if they're written well as c.s lewis wrote these books well mm-hmm. they can truly transport you into a totally different world and and i think in some ways and we can get more into this later but change your life yeah yeah i agree i actually read the series every year so on top of that I read them as a kid, but obviously Harry Potter, I have to mention that. I could go on for a long time, but I will choose one, and it is Island of the Blue Dolphins. I don't know if you guys uh, ever read that as yeah. kids. I read that as 
I don't know, nine, 10. I was really young, but I remember it's about this young girl who's stranded on an island and she just kind of, it's like Pocahontas-esque and she just goes through all this stuff about how to survive. Only with more dolphins. Right? right. How to survive on this island. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever because I wanted to survive alone on an island. I wanted to make the boat and I don't know, just do all the things and gather my own food and be a Katniss. But you had not yet read the quote, no woman is an island. That's right. That's right. Uh uh-uh. uh. So that's mine. Thank you for the sympathy laugh, Emily. I appreciate that. How about you? Um, yeah, no, kind of like Kristen, you know, Harry Potter was definitely one of the books that I enjoyed reading growing up. Um, and there are a few books that there, there are exactly three books in my library that have ever made me cry. And it was because of character deaths that I had mm-hmm. become very emotionally attached to. Yeah. But I'm, I, I might talk about those later. But what I'm going to actually, to answer your question better, which one captured my imagination was probably honestly Lord of the Rings because I guess I won't talk about that. (laughs) You can still talk about it, but the the reason it stood out for me is because that's the first book series I read where I kind of mentally inserted myself into the story. Mm, Yeah. And if you've ever like, I'm sure you're familiar with what fan fiction is. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the first one where I actually considered writing my own. I didn't, but I thought about it. And um, and I'm kind of glad that I didn't because I envisioned <laughs> this character. I envisioned this character that wound up being the embodiment of Tariel in the Hobbit movies. And to this day, my greatest regret is not getting some sort of copyright on that character. Because I was like, <laughs> I thought of her Royalties. first. Royalties, <laughs> yes, right? You could have right? retired and... Then you wouldn't be here on this podcast today. Right. With you We'd all be people. Sad. With you all and us all and all y'all. <laughs> <laughs> well, mine is Dune, which might be as unoriginal an answer as perhaps Lord of the Rings. No, that's a good one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a good one. And I remember reading Dune. I was in high school and I, and I read a ton before that. But I remember thinking how he created not just a story, but a whole world. I mean, there's this yeah. whole political structure and then the interesting thing, I think I was beginning to to really grow spiritually, and I was pretty attuned to the massive amount of religious symbolism and, and elements in the story. Uh, and I, I just thought it was incredible that Frank Herbert was able to create this world. And I think, kind of like you, Emily, I found myself visualizing it, maybe not imagining myself in the story, but <laughs> but he did something that enabled me to think about this entire planet dune arrakis desert planet if you've ever read it it's a phrase that's repeated uh in a way that it impacted me in the way that nothing else had up to that point yeah you know one interesting thing about this conversation is that so many of them are these fantasy science fiction imaginative books you know the best i'm not hearing <laughs> tales of a fourth grade nothing which was a great book but no I think judy that, bloom books no judy bloom books i think that it's it's interesting that we all gravitate toward those super super imaginative books you know that that really transport us into an entirely different universe well it could have been the way i framed the question too you know which ones captured your imagination Mm, that's true you know tales of a fourth grade nothing didn't capture my imagination because well i had already lived it (laughs) you know move along nothing to see here what book series did you relate to the most oh well that would be a different Different answer? Different Different podcast. Well, and I'm not even sure (laughs) I'm thinking that fast on my feet today. Um, But obviously, books continue to be something that influences us deeply. And by us as adults, as kids, my kids are all readers. I mean, I think the biggest struggle that we have had during the whole coronavirus things is they read books so fast 
that we can't even hardly keep up with them. Yes, we have Kindles and you can read it electronically, but it's, it's not the same. And, you know, you only have to step into your local Barnes Noble to realize screens have not been the death of books as was widely anticipated. You know, early on in the Internet revolution, there was this idea, maybe books are going to go away. Well, they haven't. And I think that's because stories endure even as mechanisms of, you know, how we read them change. So new, old, classic, ancient, the stories we record in books continue to exert enormous influence on our culture. And so, you know, in the icebreaker, I asked you what stories captured your imagination when you were young. Now I want to dig a bit deeper. What were some of the elements of these stories that invited you to go deeper with them And how do you think they impacted or influenced your perspective on life? And we've kind of already started that, but let's let's go a little bit deeper with that. Yeah, yeah. I I guess I'll start because I have some very serious thoughts on that. You know, because it goes back to the book that that I mentioned, The Silver Chair. Um, I think that it resonated with me because of those fantastic elements, right? As as a kid, you're drawn in by the fantasy, the adventure, the excitement. But what holds your attention, I think, is some of the deeper spiritual themes that you found in it. You know, yeah. I I've, I think that one of the reasons why I continue to think of this book, even today, hmm. is because... And you have it right there next to you. It, I you have should, it like, right now. You should, like, thump your hand on it just thump. so people know there it's you there. Go. There you go. I can flip through the pages if you want. But one of the reasons why I still think about this book today is that it still deals with themes that I'm still thinking about as an adult. You know, the, the Silver Chair was all about um, dealing with doubt, dealing with struggle to see God when he seems far away. Those are still things that I think about deeply. And oftentimes I find myself thinking of a passage or resorting to a passage from from the silver chair as I sort of think through some of those issues. So I think that that when you have a good author that knows how to tap into some deep themes in a clever way, it sticks with you. It's like, it's like peanut butter on the roof of your mouth. Yeah, I agree. I think... Um, similarly, something I didn't mention, Wuthering Heights, I've talked about this before, is easily There's one of my favorite book. books. Well, it's just so good. <laughs> I know. The end, by the way, is happy, but it is very dark and can be kind there's of depressing. There's a lot depressing. of Wuthering before yeah, you there's get a there, lot. whatever that means. <laughs> but I think the reason that book, along with a lot of others, like you had mentioned, is that you get kind of like drawn into this world that I know for a lot of people, like if you don't have a great home life or if you it doesn't always have to be like that but if you want a way to escape you you pick literature you want to find something that you can immerse yourself in and that book specifically I was drawn to the characters I was drawn to the conflict is this going to be resolved and thankfully it is I don't like books that don't resolve any conflict (laughs) at the end but it gets resolved and so seeing something like that where I think when you're younger and maybe you don't have any kind of control on your circumstances or like you really can't do anything about it you can get lost in a book and you can be there. And and it's yeah. kind of this, even if it's not a super happy ending, it's neat. Mm-hmm. So that's nice. I always, I appreciated that. The way that these books influenced me, it really depended on how attached I got to the characters. The more mm. yeah. rich the characters were, even, and including the side characters, not just the main character. Yep. The more I could relate to multiple characters within the book, the more it would impact my life. I, to this day, believe that Samwise Gamgee is the most (laughs) underrated, quote, side character in (laughs) literature. To me, he's not a side character. To me, he's the hero. And, you know, he's the one where Frodo has fallen 
crawling up to Mountain Doom and he's just like, you know what? I can't carry the ring for you, but I can carry you. Like the mm. ring would not have gotten so destroyed good. without Sam. You know, he's the one who killed Shelob. So, you know, I, if Sam can kill Shelob and get the ring to Mordor, <laughs> then I can conquer the spider that crawls across I my feel like I'm there right, right now. <laughs> right. Then I can get out of bed in the morning. Yes. <laughs> you know, so, so I good. Think, so, you know, just having those characters who I could relate to, who I could be like, you know what? I am a hobbit. I enjoy eating lots of food and I have funky feet. It's okay. <laughs> I have often thought of you as a hobbit, Emily. So I'm glad that you finally said that. Well, and I think the best stories are a little bit like the best Pixar movies. You know, we love Pixar movies because they work on multiple levels. They work for kids, but they also work for adults. And I remember the first time I read through the Lord of the Rings trilogy, um, I think I was, I don't know, freshman, sophomore in high school. I got to it actually fairly late. And it the story worked for me. Yeah. And then rereading it as an adult, oh, yeah. you're able to see all of these connections that you didn't notice the first time through. And, yes. you know, Tolkien has said it's not an allegory of the Christian faith, and maybe it's not an allegory in the purest sense, but, you know, you've got Frodo, you've got Gandalf, you've got Aragorn. All three of them are Christ figures in different ways. You, yep. You've got the exiled king coming back. You've got Gandalf who dies and is essentially resurrected as this even more powerful being. And you've got Frodo mm -hmm. who's willing to sacrifice everything for the sake. Of, they're all three Christ figures yeah. And they're all three totally different. And I remember reading it and being blown away by that. Uh, and lest this, you know, totally run into a total geek fest, I'll, I'll rein my thoughts in there. But I think, <laughs> I think that's why the best stories work is that they work for us on different levels and we can return to them yep. over and over again. And wasn't it Lewis that said that if a book's, I'm going to mess up the quote, but if a book's not worth rereading like the best mm. books are worth rereading yeah yes. Yes. and so the ones that you're always going to come back to i guess similar to movies if you're willing to sit down and invest yourself in it again someone did something right yeah, yeah. that's right I and agree. you know movies and tv move us through the power of image but a book moves us through images that are painted with words how would you compare and contrast we'll pretend we're back in in comp 101 in college <laughs> the way a book influences our hearts and minds compared to the way the visual artistic medium of, of television and movies accomplish that? I think it's different for everybody, honestly. So okay. I have a lot of friends who aren't big readers, but they love film. Are they small readers? Yeah, they're small <laughs> the readers. Hobbits. But they prefer audiobooks. And so I can only imagine how different that is as opposed to sitting down and reading text. Um, I know for myself, I feel far more immersed in a book. Like once I read um, Pet Cemetery. Oh, now, I don't, I, I'm not recommending reading this, okay? <laughs> Sometimes I got, dead is best. I don't even like anything Cemetery. horror or anything scary. But I remember reading this book, turning through the pages, thinking, why am I not putting this down? It was <laughs> right. terrifying. Yep. I could not sleep for almost two weeks by myself. I slept in my sister's bed because I'm like, <laughs> I refuse <laughs> to sleep you. alone. It was terrible. But I've not once watched a movie. I don't think, well, that's not true. I think you can either fast forward, you can fast forward a movie and kind of get to like different sections. I guess you could do it with a book too, but you're going to miss some details. So there's right. kind of, at least for me, it seems a little different. I think one of the big things that makes books so different is that it, it's sort of like what you were talking about, Kristen. It, they feel there's a lot more involvement because yeah. you're 
you're an active participant in a way. Mm-hmm. With a movie, you can sit back and you can just watch it. Yeah, it's sort of With a TV passive. show, exactly, you can, you can sort of sit back. But when you're reading a book, you have to pay attention to what's going on. And because of that, it absorbs you in a way that I think those more passive forms of entertainment don't. Well, so do you think that makes the influence potentially greater I do. from a book? I absolutely do. I think that when I think about the movies that have influenced me and the books that have influenced me, the the weight of the books on my life is much greater i think mm. because in a way one of the interesting things that that we get into as we talk about this issue when you make a movie i think that you have control as a movie maker mm-hmm. over the story you want to tell when mm-hmm. you write a Absolutely. book the reader brings yes. more and more of themselves into that product and so because of that, the books become so much more personal. I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, book lovers, it's, it's a cliche, but they always say, ah, they watch a movie and they say, the book is better. Yeah. But <laughs> I think it's because the book becomes sort of transformative in a way that, that movies just don't. Right, because yeah. you find out you've been mispronouncing an important name like... <laughs> Galadriel is actually the correct way. It's not Galadriel, which is the way I always pronounced it. But it's better the way you choose to. Yeah, when I when I was teaching, um, I taught the Kite Runner to my high schoolers. Wow. Uh, we, we read it at, to my senior class. I read it. Um, and I, it was my goal. Like they will love this book as much as I love this book. And I will make them. You used to be a high them. school English teacher, I did, right? yes. And so I remember when we finished it, I've never gotten like more of uh, like, I guess a satisfactory response. Everyone was like freaking out. They're like, yeah. that was the best book ever. And I, it, it always ends on a cliffhanger. So we'd, we'd stop, I'd stop the chapter and everyone would be freaking out and they'd want to know more. <laughs> but it was so interesting when we switched to watching the movie, none of them liked it, like you had said. And so we talked about that. Like a lot of this becomes personal. You see it in a different way. So that is, it's a great way to have conversation too, because I probably read Lord of the Rings and got something different out of it than, you know, than Emily or Adam. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think good literature is a lot like art where it can be read differently by every single yes. person who reads it. You know, if it's if it's a good book, it 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 transforms in the in their eyes, I think. And you know, I studied film in college and it's it is different. It's what you said, you know, the director does control the story because different directors can t- they can be given the same script and tell you two totally different stories yeah. and they're the ones controlling the narrative versus a book, it's already been put on paper, how you interpret it is totally different. It's so not good. like that with movies because in movies we one of the things you do as a director is you you have a vision in your mind of what you want the audience to walk away feeling and yep. what you want them to walk away thinking there's no room for interpretation beyond that that's good Emily hmm. well, I want to take just a half turn here do you think the influence of books on our children is easier for us to deal with as parents or more difficult and why Ooh. That's a good question. Thank you. That's why I wrote it. (laughs) I have some thoughts about this. So like, you know, I think that, I think that we have somehow convinced ourselves that it's okay for our kids to read whatever because it's improving their reading skills. But let me just say, (laughs) I remember the plastic book fairs growing up and I remember every kid in my class was buying Captain Underpants, you know? Reading skills were not improved. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Reading skills were not getting improved. Um, I think that, again, I think that parents have convinced themselves that it's not as intense because it's not a visual, I mean, it is technically a visual media, but it's whatever they interpret it to be. The visuals are actually in your brain. Yeah, it's all in their brain versus on screen, everything is like right up in their face. And again, there's no room for interpretation beyond that. Hmm. I think it depends on the kid too. You know, they say boys are a lot more visual than girls. And so... 
We're little Neanderthals mostly. (laughs) (laughs) I just think that definitely matters. You know, like I'm very cautious about what my son's only two and a half, almost three, but I'm really cautious about what's on the screen. I'm also cautious about what he reads and I, I like to know. But as a parent, how if you've not read it before, thankfully we have plugged in. You're welcome, guys. Right. Like you guys can go check out our website and, and kind of look at stuff. But it's really awesome because you're able to review something and, and make a decision for your family when there's so much content out there. And okay. this is difficult, right? Like depending on the book or the movie, like that can be very overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I do think that when you're talking about books, they they potentially if you have a reader in your house they potentially have a much greater influence. You know, Agreed. I think that, that when I was uh, was reading some of those books, I was lucky that I had parents who fed me some really fantastic yes. books mm. that encouraged certain lines of thinking that, that caused me to think about the world in, in different ways, but positive ways. Yeah. There are some negative books out there to 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 you know, just say it bluntly, I, that that I think can shape kids in different sorts of ways, in negative ways. That, and, and books are inherently challenging. They're going to be dealing with issues that they read in a novel, that they read in a book series, that they might not deal with on the same level as they would in a, in a movie. Yeah, that's, oh, really that's good. exactly right. Well, so along that line, what are some practical strategies that parents can use to know whether a book is appropriate or not for their children? And Kristen, you've already mentioned the plugged Didn't in mean to, but... book reviews. No, no, that's great. Um, what are some other things parents can do to know whether something is a good fit for their kid or not? Um, obviously, you can read the book ahead of time. Okay. Parents, uh, my mom did that for some of the books that we read um, growing up, like the Harry Potter series. I know that she read at least the first book in that series before it she allowed... It gets darker after the first one. Yeah. <laughs> well, after the, <laughs> by after the time the, third, the final book yeah. came out, I was 15 and I was the kid waiting in line at the store for <laughs> Barnes & Noble to open to go buy it. And I was the first person in my family to read it. But... Um, but I was older by then. No, I think what I'm thinking about is you also want to maybe take a look at the author of the book because, you know, one of the objections that so many people had to that series was the witchcraft and wizardry. So, but if you look at it, you know, J.K. Rowling, I know there's some stuff in the media about her right now, but she's not a Satanist. Right. You know, she's just not, you know, yes. Is she, is she J.R.R. Tolkien or C.S. Lewis? Is she putting that same imagery into her books? Not necessarily, okay? But she's not... You just have to know what you're exposing your child to. And sometimes some authors will slip in stuff that's not great for your kids. And you may not know that unless you know about the author themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you could also start with, honestly, just Googling it. I mean, at this point, like, I'd probably Google the title of the book and just kind of take a look. If I've not already read it and I've read a lot and I want to know what's in there, I would probably just start with Googling it and kind of find out what's going on. I think one of the joys of reading books is that you get to share your favorite books with your kids. Yeah. And I think that that's one strategy that, that parents can really take into this. Mm-hmm. I think that, that one of the greatest joys of, of my parenting career was being able to read to, to my kids the, the stories that I loved. And, of course, so Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah. And great books to read out loud. 
Um, My mom I, read The Blind Witch and Wardrobe to us when we were little. It is so okay. much fun. I still remember reading The Horse and His Boy to my yeah. son. And, you know, Bree, the, the horse, has this really long name. And I, I didn't know how to pronounce it, so I just went, Bree, what do you want? That's fantastic. Fun. Do it again. That's what my son kept saying. Do it again. Do it again. He loved it. He, and, and so you just you are able to connect with your kids on a really special yeah. level when you're able to to share those things that you love. And books are one of those things that you love. Another thing that I think you can you can do is even with books that you haven't read, I think when you are able to read them aloud to your kids at a certain age, if things come up, it gives you an opportunity to actually sort of explore some of the themes, some of the some of the characters. Uh, some of the things that you read about in in a more proactive way. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly right. And if yeah. you've never done that before, Focus has a terrific book called The Read Aloud Family by Sarah McKenzie. And you'll want to check that out and you can find more information about that in our episode notes. And I want to actually build on what you were saying. So I... I, uh, I dug myself a hole as a parent for the first few years <laughs> of my kids' lives. Um, I read stories to them. Uh, too and high a standard. No, it gets worse <laughs> or better or something. It gets something. It gets better. So I got tired of reading books to them at night. I'm like, I know what I'll do. I'll just make up a story. <laughs> so, well, that was great for like three nights, right? But then I was putting my daughters to bed and my son to bed separately and so every night I was making up two stories. Oh and, my goodness. you know, when you're as old as I am making up that many stories at the end of the day, it's like, <laughs> I don't have it in me anymore. So with my son, I'm like, hey, I know my stories are awesome, but what if we read Chronicles of Narnia? Of course, that was, and he's like, okay. So we did that. <laughs> so we read those. Um, I don't think we made it through all seven, just full disclosure. I forget where we left oh, off. Oh, he didn't have his heart ripped out during oh, the last battle? last battle was mm. killer. That's one of the books that made me cry. No, he yeah. still has his heart, so that's good. We stopped <laughs> before that. So then we read The Hobbit, and then we read The Lord of the Rings. And by now, we're like Ooh. seven or eight novels in. And we started when he was about five or six. He's 13 now, and we've just kept doing it. So I think we've read 27 so or 28 novels yeah. and we got into the fantasy thing. So it's mostly been fantasy and sci-fi, but like you were saying, what it enables us to do is we can stop and have conversations and I'll actually stop and say, how does this idea compare with what we believe, especially with weird hinky spiritual stuff? Cause I think a lot of times we just avoid that. Right. But it gives us a chance to have a really natural conversation. Yeah. And, and again, I can't, I can't overemphasize the bonds that you can create with your kids. They become these touchstones in your lives that your kids will treasure. My daughter is 26 years old, and she still likes me to read to her. Hmm. That's that so sweet. That is something really special that you just can't replace. Well, and you can think, well, by the time our kids are, are teens, they're going to be too cool for school, <laughs> right? It's like, Dad, maybe we're not going to read the fantasy novel tonight. But <laughs> Henry hasn't outgrown it yet, and he doesn't show any signs of doing so. Really and that's special. really, it's really gratifying because not only do you have opportunity to talk about stuff, but you do have that shared experience together that I think is incredibly powerful for building relationship. Yeah, I actually started that. Um, I know Judah's only, what, almost three, but we've had some issues with like hitting and kicking and all the normal toddler things. <laughs> so I panic bought on Amazon. Um, hands are not for hitting, feet are not for kicking, <laughs> and words are not for yelling. Voices words are not, are for, not yelling. for yelling. Voices, Voices are not for yelling. Oh. So I got all these books, and every night we've been reading them together and kind of going over them. And so now we talk about 
gentle hands. And I ask him, what are gentle hands? And he'll reach out and like slightly stroke my hand. I'm like, okay, <laughs> we're going to do this together step by step. And we'll start here. I no, love I, that story. I think it also, when you're reading to your kids like that and, you know, doing the voices and all that stuff, I think yeah. it makes, it helps to activate their imagination. If yes. you ask me. I think that's why people really like audiobooks. And like, I'm thinking of my nephew right now. He loves the book. We're going on a bear hunt. And to the point where he, he can't read. I want to start slapping my thighs with my face <laughs> right now. Splish, splash, splish, splash. No, he exactly. can't read, but he has memorized that yeah. entire book and he reads it exactly the way his dad read it to him. That's so sweet. All the emotions yeah. and all the excitement and, yeah. you know, hand motions like you were saying, Adam. Yeah. Um, and he's he's got a great imagination. And I think some of that has come from the storytelling aspect. Hmm. Well, this has been a great conversation today, and I love this reminder that the stories that we read and the stories that we adore may have as much or even more power to shape our imagination and how we see the world than the screens that we spend a lot of time talking about. And, and you know, that means that discernment is required here, too. So I, I love the fact that we have been able to talk about incredible stories that, that we adore while at the same time, understanding that deeper influence means we may have to work harder as parents uh, to understand what they're experiencing, you know, in shaping their discernment with how they engage with them. Well, thanks for joining us today for our conversation about the enduring influence of books on our lives. And we would love to know what your family's favorite books have been. What have your experiences been reading them together? So, let us know, and you can send us an email at team, that's T-E-A-M, at thepluggedinshow.com. And you'll also find links to Plugged In's reviews of some of the books we've talked about in the episode notes for today's conversation. In addition, you'll find information about the book, The Read Aloud Family, there too. And finally, be sure to leave us a review of this episode on Apple's podcast page or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening today. As always, we look forward to connecting with you again next week for another episode of The Plugged In Show. Plugged In.